I invite you to turn in your Bibles at this time to Acts chapter 15 as we continue our series through um, the, the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. Acts 15 verses 36 through 41. I invite you to stand as you arrive there out of respect for the reading of God's inspired word. This is on page 924 of your pew Bibles. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone up with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. All men, you may be seated. I wonder if there's anyone here who likes conflict. Anyone here who, who enjoys conflict? Sometimes you do find uh, the strange, a twisted individual uh, in that direction. But, but most of the time, most of us really hate it. And say, conflict ruins things. It ruins good things. I don't want to fight with people. It divides. It tears apart. It spoils friendships. It breaks up bands. For me, it was uh, in high school. Nickel Creek was my favorite uh, band. Uh, just wonderful folk music. They were right on it. And then there was some interpersonal conflict that came amongst them. And they announced they're splitting up. They're breaking up. Of course, there's been a recent reunion. But, but you know, I remember saying, why split up such a good thing? Why allow arguments to divide? Uh, sometimes conflict even wrecks havoc on marriages. And then when we see conflict in the church, well, that takes it to a whole nother level, doesn't it? When we see churches uh, divided and separated and, and at each other's throats, conflict in the church is unfortunately something we've seen for the last 2,000 years. 2,000 years after Christ and hundreds of denominations later, conflict still rages. It's, it's amongst us. It's a, rea- it's a reality we have to reckon with in Christ's church. And the Bible has something to say about that. The Bible looks conflict straight in the face. It doesn't overlook it. It doesn't overlook uh, squabbles between pastors. It doesn't overlook uh, divisions amongst church leaders. It looks it square in the face. And it has one loud message that God is greater than our conflicts. That's what we need to see this morning in Acts chapter 15, 36 through 41. And there's just a few simple points that will unfold this this basic message. So at first, we have to realize that conflict is regrettable. And sometimes it's unavoidable. But ultimately, conflict is always redeemable. 
we see in our text a clear instance of where conflict was certainly regrettable. Barnabas and Paul, the dream team, the dynamic duo. And here they are right after uh, the Jerusalem Council. Now, what happened in the Jerusalem Council? Well, it was a triumph of church unity. There was a division, a conflict between those who were saying that circumcision was necessary for salvation. So Jesus plus some sort of ritual would would, uh, assure you that you're a Christian. And those who said, no way, it's Christ alone. It's faith alone. It's the grace of God alone. And the triumph, the unity of the church was saying, we're not going to divide Jew and Gentile. We're not going to divide um, along these lines. We're going to welcome all who would come to Christ by faith. And that was the great triumph and unity of the church. There were, uh, Paul, Paul and Barnabas were there, weren't they? Paul and Barnabas were at the Jerusalem Council, arm in arm, saying, guess what we saw when we preached the gospel to the Gentiles? We've got one unified witness. And, and Paul and Barnabas led this charge of unifying the church, this dynamic duo, this dream team. They'd been through everything together. Stoned, rejected, preaching the gospel together. And suddenly, we see in this text that, like all of a sudden, they're they're fighting. They're fighting. And they're not just fighting, they're actually duking it out. Because this is no small disagreement. Uh, The Greek word actually used here is the same word that we get our English word, paroxysm. Now you say, well, I haven't heard that English word very much. No, paroxysm, what does it mean? A paroxysm is this sharp, intense um, disagreement. It's not the... You know, Paul, I think maybe, I wonder if you would consider, it's, Paul, you're wrong. And Paul's saying, Barnabas, I've had it with you. You are so wrong here. That's the kind of agreement, you know, uh, loud voices, um, intense conversation. That's what is going on between this dream team. And you say, I, I hate to see that. I do too. By the way, isn't Scripture refreshingly honest here? Isn't this the one thing that if Scripture was, you know, um, a group of scribes making stuff up, scrubbing things out of the Bible, this would be the first thing they'd get rid of. You know, you've got a fight, and not just a minor fight, a big fight that's breaking out between two heroes in the early church, and yet they leave it in there. Why? Because God revealed it. Shockingly, refreshingly honest when scripture says, hey, look, there was a fight and you need to know about it and you need to learn from it. Well, what was the fight? Paul has a great idea. Great idea. Paul says, let's, the winter's passed. It's springtime. Let's go back. Let's travel back to Southern Galatia and let's go back to those churches that we just planted And let's see how they're doing. And let's really bolster them in the Lord. Now, that's a great idea, isn't it? And Barnabas says, Paul, I love that idea. Let's pack our bags. And by the way, I I have someone we should take with us. It's it's John Mark. Paul, you know, you know he'd benefit from this. You know he could use a second chance. Let's take him with us. Because if you look back at chapter 13... Verse 13, you'll see something that you probably just kind of, we we actually went right past. But it's this tiny little thing that is the seed of a huge argument. What happened? Well, John Mark, who was, by the way, Barnabas' cousin, was with them on the trip. And for some reason, he bails out. 
For some reason, right when they get past Cyprus and start heading into um, southern Galatia, John Mark says, you know, I'm going back home. Why? Was it sickness? Was it um, his nervousness? Was it his anxiety? I don't know. Something caused John Mark to turn around and leave. And, And here we're seeing loud and clear that Paul never really got past that. It bothered him. It said something to him about John Mark and John Mark's character. And so when Barnabas says, you know, Paul, let's give him a second chance. Let's take him on this second missionary journey. Paul says, not a chance. Now you can kind of see the two sides here, right? Here's Paul. So Paul says, you know, mission work is serious. Gospel preaching is serious business. We don't take with us uh, people who are flaky. We got, we got a serious job. And Barnabas, your family ties are getting in the way here. Maybe maybe he said something like that. And you can can see his side, right? Makes a decent case. Well, then here comes Barnabas. And Barnabas, this is, Paul, what about the grace of God? What about second chances? Look at what God did in your life. He could do this to John Mark. Let's let's take him with us. And, And the two of them just, you know, I, I, I wonder, I wonder if I polled you, how many of you would say, well, Paul was right? How many of you would say, no, Barnabas was right? Is it that clear here? I don't think so. You know, where's the, where's the, the verse here that says, and the Lord showed that Paul was the correct one? It's, it, just, it never comes. You're waiting for it. And he just kind of leaves you, wallowing. The scripture just leaves you in this tension. Say, well, who was right? And and in a way, both of them were right. And in a way, both of them were wrong. Scripture leaves us wondering as we watch these faithful brothers split up over this issue. And they go their separate ways. They split up over the issue of who gets to go on the mission trip. I'll be the first to say, I I think they should have been able to figure this one out. This is regrettable. I wish that it never happened. What a demonstration of unity it would have been if they would have just navigated this one as well, like they had all the other stuff. And yet they didn't. Why? Why Why did this happen? Why does Luke show this to us? I think, first of all, he wants this to be a warning to us. A warning. Watch out. We must be vigilant. We must be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to, uh, to overcome arguments, to, to humble ourselves, uh, to, to live in the tension of not agreeing with others all the time. Uh, we've got to be ready for that. Because if it happened with Paul and Barnabas, it can happen to us. You better believe that. That if if. If there was this attack, perhaps even from Satan, against Paul and Barnabas in this day, it can happen to us. We must be aware that big arguments often erupt over the little tiny things. You ever notice that? You think everything's going great in the church because everyone agrees doctrinally. Well, ask someone who's been in the ministry for a long time, what kind of disagreements usually come up and what usually is it? It's not usually the big doctrinal stuff. Sometimes it is. Usually it's music style. It's, um, you know, it's, it's leadership preferences. 
It's these kinds of things. It's these little subtle things that creep in and they gnaw and gnaw until they build and then boom, division, separation. You know, it's true in marriage too, isn't it? It's usually not the big explosive things. You know, it's usually the subtle, the little tiny, you know, what's the toilet seat doing up again? You know, that kind of stuff. Why is it, what's it doing down? You know, that, those kinds of things. It's the little stuff that gnaws and builds. And so this text, first of all, is a warning to us that we need to be vigilant to humbly, uh, humbly seek to work through these things before they build into something that is just enormous. But really, this text is also a reality check, a reality check. And that reality check is this, that yes, Conflict is often regrettable, but sometimes it's even unavoidable. Have you thought about that? Is that true? Sometimes, and and I would say these times are rare, when even the most exemplary, exemplary Christians cannot see eye to eye. Sometimes, even beloved brothers and sisters need, need space to exercise their gifts. You know, I can't help but think of Luther and Zwingli at the Marburg Colloquy in the 1600s, 1500s. Yeah, 1500s. And here they come, two branches of the Reformation, two men who are excited about what the Lord is doing. And here comes Luther with his bold and boisterous personality. And here comes Zwingli with, with his own unique personality. And they come to the table, and guess what? They agree on almost everything except... The Lord's Supper. They just can't quite agree on the exact wording of how to articulate the Lord's Supper. You say, come on, guys, get this done. And they just don't do it. When all is said and done, they walk away as if the colloquy did nothing. They go in different directions. And you say, what? You couldn't, you couldn't join forces? It wasn't time. They weren't at a place where, where, the, where it was going to happen. And sometimes that's what happens in a church. Now, marriage is a unique relationship, right? If you have some sort of abiding disagreement, you, you have to find a way to live with it. You have to find some way to, to just push through and to live in the tension of, we don't fully agree, but wives, submit to your husbands and the Lord. And, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up her. And so you're going to navigate this complexity. And, and church is like that too. But there are, there, there's another sense in which when, when Christians disagree, when churches disagree, sometimes there can be an actual space that, that can be maintained between them. That, that, that isn't true in marriage. And that's what we see here. It's not nice, it's not pretty, I don't like it, but, but, but it's a reality check. That sometimes conflict is amongst us and, and we can't get rid of it. Romans 12, 18 says this, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see what it's saying? It's saying, look, 
you can do all that you can. You, you can try your hardest. You can seek to live at peace. You can be the most peaceful person. And sometimes you're going to be living amongst someone or there's going to be someone in your life who just is not ready to be at peace with you. And we just have to say, that's, that's the reality of living in a sinful world until Christ returns. Have you thought about that? Conflict is so frustrating. Sometimes we're in the midst of conflict and maybe we even look back. I wonder if Paul looked back. I wonder if Barnabas looked back and said, man, I would have done that so differently. Have you ever looked back on a fight and said, I would have done that so differently. Why was I so stubborn? Why was I so prideful? And we're tempted to let conflict just overwhelm us and, and pull us under and, um, and, and just say, you know, Lord, this is what it's like. I'm done. But what I want you to see in this passage is that conflict is not only regrettable and sometimes unavoidable, but conflict is also always redeemable. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus doesn't allow conflict to crush his church. Christ doesn't allow conflict to crush his church. He said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. This is the Jesus who rose again from the dead. Do you think that the Christ who rose again from the dead, he really did that, is going to let some fight amongst his his followers actually pull them under and, and ruin his mission? No! No. This is the Savior who at every stage of his journey to the cross was encountering conflict, who even encountered conflict with us, we sinners who resisted and rebelled against him. And Jesus knows what to do with conflict. He, he, knows, he knows how to take it and despite its worst intentions, bend it and overrule it to something that actually blesses us and maximizes our fruitfulness. God is greater than our conflicts. They don't stump him. They don't stop him. Even when we're totally at fault, even when we can say, I was a failure. Guess what? God directs our failures to greater fruitfulness. That's the kind of hope you can have if you belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 28, what does it say? All things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so the conflict of man against Christ to to bring down God, to pull him down, to crucify him on the cross led to what? To the salvation of all who would believe in Jesus. Conflict did not have the final word. It did not win. And the cross says it will not win. And the empty tomb says it cannot win ultimately for those who are in Christ Jesus. In this particular case in our text, I want you to notice what happens. Paul and Barnabas are fighting. They separate. It's regrettable. It's unfortunate. Maybe it's unavoidable. But, but with all the questions and frustrations we have with what's happening here, I want you to notice what God does with it. He doubles the manpower of the church. Before you had Paul and Barnabas, now what do you have going forward? Well, you've got Paul and Silas, and then we're going to have Timothy And then Luke himself is going to join that mission. And so you've just doubled or more than doubled um, that mission field. Well, what about Barnabas? Well, he grabs a hold of John Mark and he takes him to Cyprus. 
And so now you've got double the manpower. You've got men that are growing in the Lord under good, faithful teachers, even though they, they do fail at points. What do you also have? You have double the mission. Double the mission. Notice, you don't just have the gospel going through southern Galatia. Now you have the gospel through Barnabas and Mark going to Cyprus. And then you have another mission team going through southern Galatia. And guess what? We're going to see next week, southern Galatia and Paul, they get pulled up to Europe. And the gospel goes to Macedonia. And so God all, all along had this mission in mind. It was his purpose. His sovereign choice was to direct Paul, even through this conflict, upwards and onwards to something that Paul didn't even imagine he'd be doing. And God had in mind saving people through this conflict, propelling Paul onward and upward and having people saved, having you saved. The gospel wouldn't have come to you except for this silly conflict happening. Two teams making gospel impact. Not, not one, but now two. And it all came about because what? Well, a regrettable failure. That was not outside of God's sovereign plan and purpose. And the beauty of this particular case is that it doesn't end there. You know, sometimes that's, we spend our whole lives, we, we never get to make an apology to someone. We never get to wrap things out up. But in this case, guess what? Something beautiful does happen. The ministry of reconciliation of Jesus Christ gets put on display. Because if you turn to 1 Corinthians 9, 6, you'll notice that Paul, many years later, speaks of Barnabas. And he says, you, it's kind of an aside, but he says, Barnabas, my fellow servant, my fellow companion. Seems like the band got together again. Seems like the dynamic duo somehow made some sort of an amends. And then John Mark, guess what Paul says about John Mark? This is the same Paul who is, ready, who, who is writing off John Mark in this passage. Later, he says in 2 Timothy 4.11, towards the very end of his life, in the twilight hours of his life, he says, hey, can someone get Mark for me and tell him to come visit me? Because he is very useful to my ministry. People change. Conflicts change. Paul, by the ministry of reconciliation in Christ Jesus, was humbled to be able to see that someone that he had written off had been changed by Jesus to become someone he can trust. And there's a certain beauty to that that I don't often get to preach on. So let me just do it here, right? What does this mean? It means that you shouldn't take people off of your prayer list just because you fight with them. It means that conflicts and disagreements and people going to other churches, we're going to see that in the life of our church, right? People going to other churches. It doesn't mean you X them off your prayer list. You keep praying for them. And perhaps the prayer is, Lord, I'm really struggling with this person. I don't get it. Maybe I, maybe I wonder if... if, if uh, you know, I should have confidence in their salvation because of something they've done. But still you say, Lord, take them and use them powerfully. Prove me wrong, Lord, about this person. Is that, is that in your prayer list? Is that something you've done? Is that something you're willing to do for those that you've perhaps even had bitter conflict with? Keep them on your prayer list. And don't stop pursuing peace with them. Just because I'm preaching that the sovereign grace of God overruled conflict here, it doesn't mean that it should have happened. 
doesn't mean that Paul and Barnabas were justified. And it doesn't mean that we have a right to give up on others and pursuing peace with others just because they're difficult. Keep it up. Keep it up, friends. And you need to do this trusting the Lord, knowing that wherever sinners are present, there will be conflict. But wherever the Spirit of God is present, He will overrule that conflict for our good, even our failures, even our faults, even our stubbornness. The Lord isn't stumped by it. He is powerful over it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be at work overruling conflict for our good and the good of your church and the advance of your gospel. We thank you for doing this here with Paul and Barnabas, with John Mark. Lord, what a beautiful picture of how the failures of men do not stump your work. We pray that the very resurrection power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead would restore broken relationships, would heal what is wounded, would overcome conflict. And that when the devil does his worst, still you are bending and using that for our good. For what men and Satan designed for evil, you intend for our good, for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. Would you make that so clear to us, Lord? Would you help us to walk in vigilance, eager to maintain the unity of the bond of peace? And when that peace is broken, keep us praying, keep us ready, keep us active in pursuing peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.